Hey everyone, thank you for tuning in to the New Birth Podcast. There's a word of hope for you today and we are excited for what God is doing here at New Birth. For more information, visit our website, nbplaceofhope.com. Now for the message by our senior pastor, Gabby Mejia. You were here last week, uh, you know that they talked about the first two parts of that pledge, which is understanding and agreeing. And uh, Pastor John spoke about the power of working in unison, uh, the power of, of being one. He used the example of, of the Tower of Babel. Everybody was together, but there was not unity. And because they were not united in speech and united in heart, they weren't able to build. And so that's what we talked about last week. Today, I'm going to talk about the other two elements of the pledge, which has to deal with act of obedience. Somebody say act of obedience and attitude of the heart. Come on. Act of obedience and attitude of the heart. And so go with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter number 2, verses 16 and 17. I'm going to read a, a portion of scripture that I believe every single person here knows about it. Amen. And it reads in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Spirit. It reads, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Can you imagine that? He could have eaten from the banana tree, strawberries, cherries, potatoes, tomatoes, green beans. I don't know about that. Okay. <laughs> he, could have, he could have eaten from every and any tree. He says, the Lord God didn't ask man. The Lord man commanded man. To eat. It's like when your mom is at the table, when you're at the table and, and you don't want to eat the vegetables and your mom commands you, you better eat them vegetables, boy. He commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, understand, in this garden called Eden, there were all sorts of trees. And within all of the trees in the garden, there was a specific tree called the tree of life. But there was also another tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God tells Adam and Eve, you can eat of all of the trees, including the tree of life, but there is one tree you cannot eat, and that is the tree of good and evil. So today I'm going to talk about the importance of obedience and the attitude of the heart. When I read these verses years, years, years ago, I began to ask questions, and I believe that there's a lot, of, a lot of people that don't have a strong faith in God, and people who don't, may not be a believer of God, don't believe the Bible. One of the reasons why people tend to become atheists or unbelievers is because of this debacle in chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. Often non-believers ask the following question. 
if God was truly all-powerful, why didn't he stop Adam and Eve from eating from the fruit? And I think that is a legitimate question. If God, if God, if, 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 if God, if God, if God knew they were going to eat of the tree, why put them in a predicament to fail? Why test them in the first place? Why do that? I mean, why? Have, you ever, have, have any one of you guys ever thought about that? Why would God put Adam in a place in the middle of a tree and tell him, don't touch the tree? Because the day you eat from the tree, you're going to surely die. And so the question is, now people begin to question God's sovereignty. What is God's sovereignty? That he knows it, that he knows it, that he is in control of everything. And others question God's omniscience, which means that he knows all things. And they say, well, if God knew all things and God had all power, then why would God allow this to happen? Because if God knew he was going to eat from the tree, well, then he would have never put it there in the beginning. Right? Why God do that? Is it that God put it there to set man up to fail? Is it that God put the tree there because he was hoping to catch man in his obedience and say, aha, the human race is no good? I don't think that's the answer. I don't think that's God's reason to put that tree there. So the question is, why did God put the tree not, not, not in a corner in the garden, not behind the thorns somewhere back there where you can't even go through. He didn't put it, if I'd have been God, I would have put it in Hayuya somewhere, or I would have put it in Idaho somewhere, or I would have put it in Montana. Nobody goes to Montana. I, but, 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 but he puts he puts the tree that he can't touch in the middle of the garden. So the question is why? So generally the answer to that question is explained in terms of love and obedience. Why did God do that? Two reasons. Love and obedience. That is God had to give us the thing called free choice which is the option to love God or the option not to love God. Why? Because if he just forced us to love him, then it would not be love. Why? Because we would be acting like machines and robots. So what does God do? He gives a command to Adam and Eve, not because he wanted him to obey like a slave, but he wanted to give Adam and Eve the capacity to choose between what was what God wanted and what was what God did not want him to do now. Now, in him not doing, well, I sound powerful with this mic. You better lower my mic. I'm going to blow these people's ears off. Now, the command of not eating from the tree was given, check this out, the command that God gave Adam not to eat of the tree was given to Adam, check this out, to test us or to test him to see whether or not they were going to listen to God. Listen to me. This has everything to do with love and obedience. 
As I read and I reread and I reread the portion years ago, I have no doubt in my mind that this story is all about God's love towards us. Why? Because when I look at why God made options, see, if, if, if God would have never put a tree of good and evil, then Adam would have never had the option to go another route. But because he gave him an option, giving him an option is, I am going to give you the capacity to choose so that when you choose, your choosing is going to let you know how valuable I am in your life. But if I don't give you an option to choose between right, wrong, good, evil, the only option I give you is my option, well, then you will never know the depth of the love that you have to me. But if I give you the option to disobey and you obey, your obedience is telling you how much you love me. That's the power of options. That's the power of the garden. That's the power of obedience. And this is why God tells us in the scripture, he says that he prefers us to obey more than sacrifice. I think the prevailing themes here is obedience and also consequence. For instance, when we tell a three-year-old child that they can play anywhere in the yard of your house, but not in the street where cars are driving back and forth. We're telling them that not because we want them to suffer and be in time out in the corner. We actually tell them that because we love them. And the kid is saying, Ma, but why can't I go outside? And why can't I go outside? And I want to go in the street. I'm tired of this little yard and playing with the little lizards. I'm tired of the sprinkler system. Why can't I go outside? You can't go outside because you're not prepared to handle what the street has for you. So a parent tells the kid, you can't go outside. He doesn't do that because he hates him. He actually does that because he loves him. And the child is not at a position mentally to be able to handle what the streets has in store for him. Do you honestly feel? Think about it. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image and likeness. In other words, he made man to be like God. That does not mean that when God made Adam, Adam was everything God is. That's not what it means. What that means is that in Adam's DNA, there was the capacity to eventually become everything that God is in terms of his character, in terms of his leadership, and in terms of his authority. But he wasn't everything at the time God made him. Why? Because after God made him, then he took the woman. It was after God made him that he gave him a job. So it was as a result of Adam coming into existence that every single day God will show Adam another part of what he was supposed to do. It was every day walking with God that God was showing Adam, today you're going to learn how to call this thing an alligator. Tomorrow you're going to learn how to call that thing a lion. And the next day you're going to learn how to call that 
that thing a zebra. But it wasn't time for Adam to understand the repercussions of eating from the tree of good and evil. There are things that God does not expose us to touch yet because we're not ready to handle it. And even though we don't understand it, it's not your job to understand it. It's your job to obey so that when due season come, you can enter to the realm that God has for you because your mind, your heart, and your character is able to maneuver the thing God has placed in your life. But just because a kid hears his father say, you can't go across the street, that kid can't conclude my father hates me. Let me call DCF, he's abusing me. No! It's not abuse. It's protection. So God says, I'm going to put the tree of good of evil, knowledge of good and evil in the middle of the garden. And then he says, I don't want you to touch it. Now, 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 I, I don't know about you, but we humans, we have a propensity of wanting to do what they tell us don't do. Can I get a witness? Uh-huh. We have a habit of wanting to grab what they tell us don't grab. Have you been in a conversation? Girls, come on, girls. Can I be real girls? Come on, girls. You know, when y'all be bochinchando, you be like, y'all be talking to me like, listen, don't look now. But you see that girl, but don't look now. And something about you makes you want to look now. Be like, don't look now. She's looking over here. Don't look now. And in your mind, you're itching and you're twitching and you're like, oh my God. And, and all of a sudden, I can't hold it. Because, because there, there, there's something about us that has a propensity to disobey. But when you obey, what you're telling yourself is, I want to do it. I want to see it. I want to touch it. But I love the God that loves me so much so that I am willing to step away from that. Because when I choose to obey, I am reflecting the character, the image, and the nature of the God that lives in my life. So he says, don't touch it. Obey. In essence, that's what he's telling him, obey. And then he puts the tree of all places right smack in the middle. Right smack in the middle. Every, time, every day Adam woke up, there's the tree. Every time he went shopping at Eden's Walmart, there he is. Now, why was the tree in the middle of the garden? And why did Moses specifically write in Genesis that the tree was in the middle of the garden? Have you ever had something right in the middle of a specific place in your house? Huh? A piece of furniture in the middle of the living room. Let me, let me get more personal. That pimple right in the middle of your nose. And there's something about having a pimple in the middle of your nose that just distracts you all day. In the middle. And here's the deal. When something is in the middle, it's unavoidable. 
When something is in the middle, it's there all the time. It's a constant reminder. It's a constant reflection. Everywhere you go, there it is. When whatever's in the middle, you could look at it from any point in this room. You can stand in that corner and you can see the middle of this section. You can stand on that corner and you can see the middle. Now, if you sit over there, you might not can see over there, but anything that's in the middle, it's visible, it's accessible, it's attainable, and right smack in the middle. So the question is, God, why would you put a tree I can't eat of in the middle of my habitat? Why? If I'd have been God, I would have put the tree of life in the middle. The tree of life, literally, the tree of life was the kind of tree that I believe is the reason why Adam lived so long. Adam lived 900 and somewhat years. Can you imagine living 900 and somewhat years? Can you, can, can you imagine that? Imagine if you retire at 65 and you're collecting Social Security. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that? The moment, listen to me, listen to me. Adam was designed to live eternally as long as he obeyed God. Why? Because in obedience to God, Adam had the right to eat from the tree of life. What does the tree of life mean? It meant that every time he ate from it, he was able to attain more life. As long as Adam was in the garden of Eden, he was going to live forever. Because whenever he felt weak in his body, all he needed to do is take a fruit from the tree of life and that bite out of that fruit was going to give him another hundred years. And what am I saying? When you disobey God, some of us disobey God to the point that we begin to disregard the thing that gives us life the thing that gives us purpose the thing that gives us over a thing that is the good and evil some of us are putting are putting at risk the life of God the vision of God the purpose of God for evil doing for things that you do just to attain knowledge I'm here to tell you today it is not worth biting from the tree of knowledge of good and evil stay eating from the tree of life because that tree will wither away but the love of God in the life of those who obey will last forever when we choose to disobey we begin to lose focus on what's priority we begin to feel that what we can touch is more important than what we have all along I know I got the tree of life I can live eternity but I just want to eat from evil I, I know I got the tree of life that I can live forever and forever and forever, but I just want to bite from the tree of evil. I just want to have knowledge. I just want to know what it is to bite out of that. I know that God has something great for me. I know that if I obey him, he's going to show me things I haven't seen. I'm going to hear things I haven't heard. My heart is going to experience, but I know that. But there's something about me wanting to take from this thing in the tree. I'm here to tell you it's not worth it. Obedience. And so God says, I'm going to make you a tree. And I'm going to put it right in the middle. And here's why. Because I want you, Adam and Eve, that every day you live in this garden, I want you to be able to make a daily decision 
to obey me. I don't want to put in a tree somewhere that you are out of sight, out of mind. I want to put it right where you live at. I want to put it right in the place where you see it every single day. Because every day you choose to obey me is another testimony to you of how much you love me. So he said, I'm living in it. So he says, he told Adam, Papa, you could eat. But don't eat. You could eat from every tree. But this tree and this fruit, don't touch it. Now imagine with me, Adam every day getting closer to the tree. Adam every day getting closer to this thing he can't touch, to this thing he can't eat, to this thing he can't taste. And every day he passes by it and he goes with Eve and they go take a bath somewhere and they come back and there's the tree. And then they go over here and they go take a little nap somewhere and there's the tree. And every day they have a constant reminder of the thing that they could get close to and close to and close to moving towards something that they're not supposed to, moving close towards something that they're not supposed to touch I'm here to tell you today obedience is greater than sacrifice so my question to you is what's your tree Adam's tree Adam's challenge was knowledge Adam's problem was I just want to know because that's the tree of knowledge he wasn't intrigued by the taste of the fruit. He didn't care if it was a pineapple, a manzana, or toronja, a china, a cute. What intrigued Adam was what the tree represented. So his challenge was, I just want to know. My question is, what's your tree? What is it that it's in your garden that you have now to make the decision either to obey God or disobey. Some of us, our, our tree is our spouse. Some of us, our tree is our job. Some of us, our tree is our cars. Some of us, our trees is our academia and our degrees and our, and our uh, prestigious platforms. Some of us, our tree is our attitudes. And God is saying, are you willing not to touch it? Are you willing to stay away from it? Are you willing to sacrifice the desires of your flesh to be faithful to me? Because if you obey me, Papa, you're going to live here forever. Watch your tree. What is it that you see? And that is there and that is always a constant reminder of you having to make a choice to obey. Now, 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 how do we gauge, how do we gauge Christianity? How do you know you're a Christian? By the type of volume you portray when you sing? By the hypeness you perform in the middle of a service? I'll go even deeper. By how much money you put on the offering plate? That doesn't qualify or determine your spiritual walk with God. Look what Jesus said. John chapter 14, verse 15 and 16. If you love me, keep my commands. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. The God said, don't do it. And that's the first thing you do. You don't love Jesus. Because he says, this is, this is the 
repercussions of loving me. You follow my commands. And then he says, if you love me and follow my command, look what God says. Look what God says. God says, and I will ask the Father. And he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. In other words, what God is saying, if you love me, here's what's going to happen. Everybody that determines to love me and keep my words, I am going to speak to my father so that my father can send you the comforter so that the comforter can help you overcome the choice of being faithful to me. Because when you obey me, there's something about the Holy Spirit that allows you to be faithful as long as you love God with all of your heart he says if you love me keep my commandments pastor I love I love God okay so are you keeping his word are you obeying his words but pastor you know I don't know man it's just temptation is real temptation is tough God just keeps tempting me let me just say this God does not tempt nobody the Bible says he is not a tempter. However, listen to me. Temptation is, check this out. Temptation is the gauge of how we prioritize God in our lives. Some of us, we don't know how important God is in our lives until temptation comes. And let me tell you something. I'm going to tell you something. And I'm being real. I know my love towards God, not by the hours I pray. Uh-uh. I know my love towards God every time I get tempted to do something and I say, no. Because let me tell you, the devil tempts pastors too. Oh, you think we, you think we, we, we spit Holy Spirit when we burst in the home? Oh, you think I don't need to put on deodorant because I'm so holy, deodorant just comes out my own armpits. <laughs> listen, listen, if I don't have a constant relationship with Jesus Christ, if I don't live enamored, if I don't live in love with Jesus, it don't matter if I'm a pastor, if I'm a bishop, if I'm an archangel, if I don't live a godly life, I will be able to be a falling person just like everybody else. That's why when temptation comes, temptation is the avenue that lets me know how valuable the love of God is in my life. So temptation has nothing to do with anything other than your gauge to let you know how God is a priority in your life. So don't ask God. Listen, don't ask God to take. God, listen, God will never take temptation out of your way. He'll stop a trial. He'll stop a trial. He'll stop an affliction. Ask Job. But God will never. Don't listen. Lord, take the temptation. Temptations will never go away. Temptations, God allows them for you to know how important is God in your life. Here's another one. Temptation has nothing to do with self-control. You know why? Because self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. So self don't say, Lord, the, the Lord, the Lord is allowing me to be tempted because he wants to know if I have self-control. No. Every Christian who is sealed with the Holy Spirit should live a self-controlled life because that's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, peace, joy, long-suffering, self-control, temperance, meekness, kindness, long-suffering. Temptation has nothing to do with that. Temptation is not a test of your self-control. Temptation is a test of your love toward God. That's why today we need to choose obedience. We must remember that choosing 
is a privilege. And God gave us the privilege of choosing because he loved us. And he did not want that my relationship with him was robotic, mechanical, and slave-like. He said, I can make you just to only know me as the only God, as the only creator, as the only thing. But what God does, he makes a polarity. For good, he made evil. For light, he made darkness. For water, he made earth. Everything that God existed, he made it with the opposite, with the polarity. Why? Because he wants us to always have the capacity to choose. Because it is in our choosing that we are reflecting how valuable the Lord is to us. So the question is, can I obey God? And the answer is, we all can obey God. But here's the deal about obedience. Obedience is not easy. Because to obey means you have to give up your right. Obedience says, I want to do this. Okay, but that's what you want to do. We go your route. And since we are, we are, we humans are self-centered, egocentric, we want everything for ourselves, we become a challenge for God to allow us to follow him. We all have an opportunity to obey God. But pastor, that's not fair. God doesn't know what I'm talking about. Oh, God knows what you're talking about. Jesus was tempted. Just like you and just like me. Matter of fact, the, matter of fact, as a matter of fact, check this out. Check this out. Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River. Remember that? When he got baptized, several things happened. First thing that happened was the heavens opened up. Second thing that happened, the Spirit of God fell in the form of a dove, like a bird. And the third thing that happened was that the voice came from heaven and said, he, the voice was heard to everybody who was there. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And immediately after that, what did the father say? This is my son. I love him. He loves me. We have a relationship. I, I am in love with my son. My son is in love with me. Listen to whatever he has to say. Did you get it? Somebody say, listen to what he has to say. The next scenario in that scripture, the Bible says that Jesus was led in the wilderness by the Spirit. The Spirit of God took Jesus to the wilderness. And guess who was the first person Jesus sees when he gets to the wilderness? He saw the devil. And what did the devil do? The devil tried to tempt Jesus not once, not twice, not three times. Now bear in mind. A minute ago, the father said, this is my son. A minute ago, the heavens opened. A minute ago, the Holy Spirit came like a bird. And right after all that, here comes the devil. Some of y'all think that just because you see God, devil ain't going to be in your place. Listen, the sign that you are in the presence of God is when the devil shows up. Because the devil is always going to try to cause you to go away from the thing God has placed in your life. He goes to the wilderness and the devil tells Jesus. Hey, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. If Jesus would have been some of y'all, y'all would have made pateles out of those breads. Y'all would have made acapurria with carne molida with little aceituna. He said, if you're the son of man, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Now, was Jesus physically hungry? Yes. But what did Jesus do? He chose to obey the will of his father. And he tells the devil, 
devil, it is written, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And then he takes it, he takes Jesus and he takes him to a pinnacle. And at the pinnacle, he shows him, he shows him a, 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 a whole precipice. And he says, if you throw yourself on upon these stones, the Bible says in the book of Psalms that if you throw yourself and you cast yourself, the angels will pick you up, tempting Jesus to get out of his place and get out of his position of obeying the will of the Father. This was not the time for Jesus to make miracles. This was not the time for Jesus to walk on water. This was not the time for Jesus to heal the sick. And the devil tried to use his sick circumstance to cause him to disobey God's plan. And what did Jesus tell the devil? You know why the devil had to obey everything Jesus said? Because before he went to the wilderness, the father said, this is my son and whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When he said listen to him, he was talking to the devil as well. So when he went to the wilderness, the devil had to obey the word of God whenever Jesus spoke. I'm here to tell you today, when you live a life of obedience and you open your mouth, the devil has got to submit to the power of God operating in us who determined to obey a godly life. He said, you're the son of man. Bow down before me, and I'll give you the kingdoms of this world. But Jesus responded with obedience to his father. Jesus responded to obedience. He decided to obey his father, even though it led him to the cross. He decided to obey his father, even though he knew it was going to cost his life. But Philippians chapter 2 tells us the outcome of obedience. The outcome of obedience was that because he humbled himself and took the form of a servant and died on the cross, that act of obedience, Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 that God has highly exalted him and that God has given him a name above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. You will never experience the glory of the Father unless you obey God and even if in obeying you are dying you can declare what the apostle Paul said he said I no longer live but Christ lives in me and the life that I live now I live to the glory of the father and how do you glorify the father he said and this is how my father is glorified that you obey his commands we hope this message has inspired you. As a place of hope, our church is committed to reach our community. If you'd like more information about New Birth, visit our website at nbplaceofhope.com.